Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. I'm a very tender little person, and you could have just said, I'm a writer. I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And I'm, I'm a, a writer. writer, but... Welcome to I'm a Writer, but today we have Rachel Manns McKenney, a Midwesterner born and raised. Rachel is a writer and humorist. Her work has been published in the New York Times, McSweeney's Internet Tendency, Electric Literature, The Rumpus, and other outlets. Her debut novel is The Butterfly Effect, and it's out now from Alcove Press, distributed by Penguin Random House. Welcome, Rachel. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. This is exciting. Big fan of the pod, as they say. We're excited to hear you read to us. All right. Well, I, I am going to read um, part of the butterfly effects, mostly because it pertains to the holiday that we are recording right before. Yes. Ooh. So people will be listening to it after, but it's sort of like you get to experience the 4th of July twice. Lucky you. <laughs> Who doesn't love to do that? There you go. <laughs> and I have a funny story about this excerpt afterwards. So okay. Nice. <clears throat> The flask had something sharp in it that smelled of nail polish remover. Greta passed it back to Eden after faking a pull and leaned back in the lawn chair. She, Eden, and Brandon sat with the other hundred people on the lawn by the middle school, staring into the dark, empty sky. It was like waiting for a curtain to come up. The other bodies near hers emitted smoke and sweat, and memories of summer camp bonfires rushed back to her. She'd always hated camp, girls squealing over spiders in the tents, girls making stories and friendship bracelets. Girls everywhere and no solitude anywhere. Brandon's body in the chair next to her didn't remind her of camp, though, unless it was of the horses. Wide shoulders, long legs. She stopped herself from thinking about riding and accepted the flask from Eden on the next pass. The sip stung all the way down. She sat between Eden and Brandon as though they were sharing her. The placement seemed purposeful, the lawn chair empty when she arrived. Both had gazed at their phones, faces lit up from beneath. Eden had looked her way first, shooed her into the chair, and started talking to her immediately about a leggings company she patronized. Eden spoke in an excited avalanche of give, give, give. The minutes ticked by, and the crowd hushed together as the start of the fireworks show approached. When the start time came and went, the conversation started again until the sudden flower of light appeared above them with a pop. The end was her favorite. Rockets shot up ten at a time, overlapped and bled into one another. 
She knew it was designed, but the end of a fireworks show had the feeling of a going out of business sale, the carelessness of a toddler throwing everything into one toy bin, sudden silence, and the sky was all smoke. The assembled crowd packed up their chairs, and soon only the three of them were left on the dark hill by the school. Brandon turned to Greta. It'll take us forever to get out of the parking lot with this crowd. Greta dug into her purse and held out the box of sparklers. I brought supplies. She paused and corrected herself. Shit, but no lighter. I think I've got one. Just a sec. Eden opened her purse with a manicured hand and pulled out a dainty pink lighter. She gave a mischievous smile and tugged a plastic baggie out as well. A single white joint hung in the bag, or that's what Greta assumed it was. Greta felt suddenly years of dare training spin uselessly in her mind. None of them noticed the disappearance of headlights from the parking lot. In the shade of the trees near the baseball field, no one would see them even with their sparklers. Aiden took a puff of the joint and handed it off to Brandon before lighting a sparkler. It fizzled in her hand and she traced her name in cursive in the dark sky. The after image of Eden's name written backward printed itself on the inside of Greta's eyelids. The sparkler had nearly burned down when the to the handle when Greta saw flame leap from the metal of the tip to Eden's long hair. A strand coated with hairspray caught the spark like a kid with a firefly. Greta turned to Brandon first, but his mouth went slack-jawed in surprise and his hands were full of lighters and drugs. Without pausing, Greta handed the, grabbed the water bottle sticking out of Eden's purse and poured it all over her burning blonde skull. The elapsed time from flame to smolder was just seconds, but still a lock of Eden's hair had burnt like a wick from past its shoulder length to near her ear. Holy shit, Eden gasped, dropping the used sparkler on the ground. Thank you. It was then, only then, that Greta began to laugh so hard her stomach hurt. Jesus Christ, I wish I'd gotten that on video. A few minutes passed before Eden said anything. She sat in the grass, holding the strand of burned hair like it had nerves. Brandon settled where he'd been standing and motioned for Greta to join him. He passed the joint to her. She held it between her thumb and forefinger and looked at it before passing it back. I don't smoke, sorry. Brandon chuckled as he took in another breath. It's funny, that kind of video used to earn you money. Remember the old shows? $10,000 for a kid falling on a birthday cake. Now they're all over for free. They want to be watched, Greta said, just to be seen. Maybe that's harder than when we were kids, huh? His voice was soft, directed toward her as if through a cone. She knew he was looking at her, even in the dark. She could tell. She could still see the backward Eden in cursive, swirled in light on her inner eyelids. So Greta stared at him through her name. Maybe, she said. Eden slunk over to them and sat next to Brandon, practically falling into his lap. She draped a lazy arm onto Greta's leg. I owe you my life, Greta Otto. I swear I do. Greta inched her leg away. Don't mention it, she said, hoping that if Eden wouldn't, Greta could pretend Eden didn't exist at all. And I'll stop there. I'm so glad you read that part because, first of all, I hate fireworks. (laughs) 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 And second of all, it gets at something that I've been thinking about and that Alex and I were just kind of talking about in terms of this book that it feels so it feels like a movie like it it unfolds the way that like a rom-com would like it is so it feels so effortless and I like I envy that I you know like it and I know that's not easy to do so I want to I want to hear from you like how how you were, how you went about writing this book and how, how you made it seem so effortless. How <laughs> So I was actually a theater person in college. Oh, yes. That makes sense. Um, so if I could have written the whole book just in dialogue, I would have. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> and the thing that really got me for this particular book is that I've been, I first of all wrote it in three perspectives. 
And that was how I presented it to my agent. So the book is about an entomologist whose brother suffers an aneurysm and she comes, she stops her dissertation work to take care of him. So originally I had written it in the entomologist's perspective, in the brother's perspective, as well as in um, the fiance of the brother who has the aneurysm. And I had played around a lot with um, persons. So first person, second person, third person, each one was a different point of view. It was really fun to play with. And then it was an absolute mess. And my agent was like, this doesn't work at all. (laughs) (laughs) She said, it doesn't tell the story. Um, You need to tell this completely from Greta's point of view. Mm. And I said, but it's not really, I mean, what about the love story between the brother and the fiance? That's such an integral part. And she said, but it's not really about them. It's about her figuring out her relationships with all of these people. Wow. So I had to go through about uh, four years of drafting and redrafting this book, ripping Ouch. apart. Oh yeah. My God. Yeah. And, and it just got completely shredded into the point where I go back and I look at first drafts of this and there's almost nothing that's the same. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh my God. So it really wasn't ultimately just POV work. It was a ton of restructuring, yeah. reworking everything, huh? Right. Gosh. Yes. Because the, the easiest perspective to write from was the, the fiance, because she's very normal <laughs> um, she's just like friendly and she's very, what you would consider, you know, Midwest nice and very approachable. And I felt like it, it was a more commercial voice. Hmm. Uh, even though the book is marketed really commercially, she's not really a heroine that connects with traditional readers of what, what looks like a rom-com. It's not actually a rom-com. And so I think people read it and they're like, Oh, she is such an asshole. Your main character. (laughs) But she's so relatable too. She's so, she's so relatable and accessible as well, you know, like, and, and I don't know, it feels, it feels like a character that I would just like love to watch. (laughs) And I guess I am watching her in my mind. Um, but I love the fact that I called it effortless. And then you talked about how it was four years of recrafting. Yeah, right. <laughs> that is wild. But I think that, you know, a good book just sucks you in. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, when you go through a literature program and you're learning to write, you don't really learn about plot as much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you learn a lot about diction and you learn a lot about voice and you learn a lot about how to read these wonderful writers that you so admire. And then you sit down and you're like, how do I actually draft this thing? Mm -hmm. Um, And how do I make it narratively make sense? And I think once you find the plot structure, everything else falls from that. So I, I, I believe in outlining and, and hopefully that's why it all falls together in the end. Yeah. That's so interesting. When you're, when your agent says to you, you're telling me that this is this story, but I'm telling you, no, it's actually this. Did it feel, did it click? Did it feel true? Or did you think I need to write toward what she's saying so that we can market this appropriately or, or what, you know, like that relationship you have with your agent, is it? Okay. Let me tell you the whole story. Okay. So this is uh, see, the butterfly effect was the third manuscript I finished. I got agented with my second book Mm -hmm. and it was a big deal uh, agent. She called me before she'd even finished the manuscript. And she said, I love this book. And it was one of those like heart stopping moments where you're like, oh my gosh. That's like Um, the dream right there. Right. And so I did what you're not supposed to do. And I said, yes, right away, even Mm -hmm. though I had other queries out. Um, And so we went on submission with that book 
and she submitted it to seven editors over 18 months. And we didn't end up selling that project. And so the butterfly effect was what I wrote during that time. And so I sent it to her when it was clear that we were sort of at our end of the list that she was wanting to submit my other project to. And that's when she gave me the feedback about it needing to be in just one perspective. And that completely felt natural to me. Mm, I was like, you're right. I was Mm -hmm. like, this, this clicks with me, this feels correct. And it would allow me to explore so many other avenues. Um, You know, I'm guilty of the habit of wanting to just do a lot of nonfiction research for the fiction that I write. And so Mm -hmm. it really let me do a lot of entomology research, which I thought was really fascinating. Um, But then I brought her the the book after I'd worked another year on it and she still didn't like it. (laughs) So I ended up, I ended up finding another agent pretty quickly after that. And we were able to sell on submission without it, you know, too long of a delay. It just wasn't the right project for her. So it's um, one of those paths to publication that I think so many of us have had books that don't sell on sub oh, yeah. and, you know, it just is all up to what is that next project? And does your agent still have the same, can they see where, where a path forward is for the next project is always the shot in the dark there. Was there any like anguish on your part or agonizing about, oh, it's time to part ways with this agent? Cause I feel like that's, you know, like writers sometimes, don't know if they're allowed to do that or don't know if it's a bad, you know, like what was that like for you? Oh, it was so hard. It was an absolutely hard choice, especially when it's somebody who I truly respect her and I I respect her place in the industry. Um, She just wasn't the right writer for the right agent for my career. Mm -hmm. So I I decided to believe in what ended up being titled the butterfly effect and just go a different path at that point. That's amazing. And it, like Alex and I were also talking about this before you got on that you're so ambitious and you're so prolific. And I, I, you know, it's, it speaks to a level of confidence that I am assuming you have, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if you have or not, but I just want to, I would love to hear you talk about how you treat, you know, like how you look at your career as a whole and how you, you know, like treat your ambition and, and just like how you get to where you want to be. I think coming up in the theater prepares you for rejection in a way that hardly anything else does. Mm-hmm. Um, and it prepared me uniquely for, for writing. So, you know, I used to, I, I write in obviously fiction. I mostly write long form fiction. I've written some short fiction, of course, but I also do nonfiction essays and humor and every time I feel like I'm in a rut with something, I, I switch genres. And so it just keeps my brain fresh, but I have to be writing or I become an absolute impossible person to live with. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I can tell when I'm not writing because I get shoutier and I get, you know, I just, I need some sort of outlet, even if it ends up being shit in the end, I need to be writing something. And usually the truth is that everything you write usually can be edited or become something else. So just saving everything is very useful. <laughs> wow. Rachel, I want to go back to uh, a moment that we kind of skipped over because it was a, a part of a larger story you were telling. But I'm I'm really curious to hear about that moment when you knew it was kind of at the end of the road with your first agent and you had to kind of come up with a list of other agents to query and go out, you know, and look for another one. That is a place I know so many friends, I'm sure of all three of ours, are either in right now or have been in. And it's so... <laughs> so tough for so many people. I wanted to hear just kind of what in a little bit more detail, what that was like and how you kind of went about that, what your mindset was. Cause 
that is something that's so common, but you don't really hear talked about a ton. Absolutely. I would say in some ways it was so much easier the second time. And that if you are somebody who was previously agented, even if you didn't sell a project, mention that in your query, because especially if you left on just, oh, you know, we're not a good fit kind of grounds, agents are used to that happening. But just seeing that you've been agented before gives them a little hint that, okay, there's something, there's something here, even if that person wasn't able to explore the project or explore what the author has to offer. The big thing is though, that you need to query with a fresh project. So if it's been out on submission, it's just not something that you unfortunately can go with. Um, so the, the book that I went on submission with, I, I, it's in my drawer. I don't know what we'll do with it. If we ever do anything with it, or if it's just kind of past its point, but I was the butterfly effect had never been to any age or any editors. So I was comfortable going to that. And I also knew that when it got to the point of, I was much less nervous to send out queries um, Mm. because I, I know what those rejections feel like and they're fine and they're not usually personal. It's just, it's not what they fell in love with. Uh, And, and when it got time to do the phone call, I didn't say yes immediately. And I had a much smarter range of questions about uh, about what I wanted at an agent because I knew issues that I, I wanted to address for communication. What's your communication style? How do you deal with ne- next projects? You know, do you like to look at a synopsis first? Do you like to talk through ideas? Do you like to see the whole thing? You know, how editorial are you? I think that is so much that you just get blown away with the first time that you're in the process of having your first agent phone call, you just, everything flies out of your head <laughs> when yeah. someone tells you that they love your book. And so it was a lot easier the second time around going through the, the process too. Definitely. To I mean, think I, logically, even just thinking about like, I, you know, I, I'm sure I've texted Lindsay with a lot of this stuff, just like, Hey, is it okay if I ask this, like, is this unreasonable to even bring, you know, whatever it is up with your agent? It just, sometimes you don't, even the boundaries of the relationship when you're in it, it's hard to know, like, is this, is this too much? Am I being crazy? Like I, you know, it's, those kind of conversations are so common. So going back out a second time, you're right. It does seem like it would be a lot, a lot easier just having some sense of the parameters of what that looks like. Well, and I'm a lot less precious with my work than I was when I started to, you know, the first book I ever wrote, I of course thought it was amazing. I look back at it now, it was terrible, but I had to write it. I mean, you have sure. to write that first book. It doesn't mean it's, it's good. <laughs> Um, but knowing that you can get to the end means that you can get to the end again. And I'm much, I'm very good at taking feedback and having gone through the process of working with not just an agent, but an editor. Now I realize I really thrive with that. I love the back and forth and yes, I do do stats of course in the sidebar, but, um, you know, hearing what other people bring to the conversation is it's, it's interesting the way writing can become a team sport. Totally. With Yeah. And some agents are very collaborative on the, in that way. And some of them aren't at all. So it's like, it's, it's, it goes back to what you're saying, like, know what kind of agent you need. Right. Absolutely. Well, and my, you know, something that I might explore later in my career that my agent does that I don't think my, my first agent did is that she does work for higher work. So that if, you know, TV company needs to have a, uh, synopsis or possible spinoff of a book series based on a TV series. If it's something like moms in space, dude, I would write the hell out of that. Like, (laughs) (laughs) 
Like it's not the ty- typical thing I would write, but I could write that book. I would write that book. Um, you know what I mean? So yeah. being able to find other possibilities and opportunities and put them in front of you is something else that your agent can do, which is really interesting. In How a do you way. actually get your writing done, Rachel, with, uh, you know, family life, work life, everything yeah. you have going on and the amount that you're actually getting done? What does what does it look like for you? Oh, I am extremely privileged that I have a babysitter sometimes, you know what I mean? Like, sure. um, my job is three quarters time and I have full-time childcare, at least when it's not a pandemic. And in that quarter of time, I make my space, you know, parent writers who have no childcare at all. I don't know how they do any of it, but when I have writing time, I sit and write, um, I can sometimes get distracted by Twitter and then I put on my internet blocker. But, but other than that, I'm, I, I'm also a very fast first drafter. My revision processes can take a long time, but I'm a very fast drafter. I can um, draft, I can draft a novel a year comfortably, even with, I have three kids. Um, they're all under 10 and I work, but I can, I can draft a novel a year. If I try I, during the pandemic, I had, hard as fuck time, mostly because it was a pandemic and my kids were home and I was working from home and I was working on my debut and then my dad died. And so it was a lot of things all in one year. It was a little bit much. So uh, that throws your writing off. And I think that it's, it's another one of those times where you can, you can tell when you're not allowed to have a creative life just now and you have to let yourself just be a human too. Mm -hmm. That's really hard, I think, to accept um, because it's important to accept that. It's important to allow yourself to focus on the other things. But then there's that ambitious part of you, the same part of you that is like, yes, whatever agent likes me, I'm going with them, that thinks, well, if I drop out for a second to care for myself and my family, I won't be able to get back in, you know? And it's really hard to balance that, I feel. Oh, absolutely. Well, and then, you know, putting on a face of things being normal and And especially when you're online interacting with readers, you know, my book is kind of a book club, book clubby kind of book. And so you have to have a certain kind of online presence. And, and I am very bubbly and happy and and funny person. I write humor, but it's hard to be funny and on all the time. You know, it's, it's, it's also work. It's a different kind of work. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like to put your debut out in the middle of a pandemic? It was, uh, rushed and um, but you become grateful for every small victory right yeah. so i was able to get paper arcs which i knew a lot of my friends weren't able to do <laughs> and even just that felt like such a win um but there were times when i was doing like my past pages at 11:30 at night um just cuz it was the only time during the day that i had to myself mm-hmm. um and the you just didn't know I remember there were times in July when they were worrying about paper shortage that they were like, we may not actually even have enough paper to print your books in December. Funny story. And oh <laughs> so gosh. you just don't, you, you start worrying about things you absolutely have no control over um, in, in the process. Mm. But, but there were lots of good moments too. I mean, um, I never was going to be able to go on a book tour because of my kids and because of my job. It's just, I can't, I can't go across the country And so nobody was going across the country and they were used to staring at their screens. (laughs) So it was really fun to be able to worked out for me for that. Yeah. So I got to still do book events that were really fun, but 
just not seeing people. Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like in some ways, it's like you said, it's, it's, it could be better. You can do more. Um, you know, there's like oh, only a little bit of money that they're going to throw at you to go on tour, but with a zoom budget, the world is your oyster. <laughs> it's like exactly. I had an international tour from my living room. Yes, exactly. Well, and, and like people got so creative once we were in the swing of things and we realized this was going to be the new normal for a while. I remember one of my events, I made like snicker salad on camera while we were talking. Cool. Like, <laughs> like, pause, pause, pause. What is snicker salad? <laughs> oh my, wait, how long have you lived in the Midwest, Lindsay? I, I feel like long enough. I should know. It's like 16 years. Why are they keeping this from me? Oh, I'm so sorry you've been kept in the dark. Okay, so snicker salad is uh, Granny Smith apples diced up. You mix a box of jello pudding, vanilla flavored with two cups of milk and then you fold in softened cool whip oh hell yeah and then you dice up full-size snicker bars and just throw it all into the mix and let it chill and that's a salad welcome to the the midwest (laughs) that is something that i would have to eat on the toilet but i would happily do it (laughs) i before the pandemic i invited a friend and her family over for dinner uh, and I was like, I'm like spaghetti, you know, come on over, bring a salad. She brought snicker salad. So we oh had my God, that rules. <laughs> and, she, and she's like, I don't really cook. And so she'd actually thrown in mini size snicker bars instead of like Whoa. cutting them oh up, so <laughs> just lumping. Oh my Lord. <laughs> That's a keeper friend right there. Yeah. She's, she's the best. Absolutely. <laughs> my mom used to make, my mom used to make quote fruit salad at Thanksgiving every year. And then I ordered fruit salad one time at a restaurant and they brought me out cut up fruit, like on a, v- a variety <laughs> of beautiful cut up fruit. And I was like, where's the whipped cream? Where's the mini marshmallows? <laughs> like, yes. where, where's the actual <laughs> fruit salad? <laughs> oh, I, am, I could eat that right now. I am 98% sure that the only reason that instant pudding still exists is, be- is because the South and the Midwest exist. <laughs> Banana right. pudding and Snickers, pu- Snickers salad. Salad. Yes. I can't believe they call it a salad. That is the oh best. Uh, oh yuck so now what are you working on okay so I have a finished project and it's about um midwestern women in the 90s and sold I'm in yeah they are obsessed with beanie babies and oh my god the prison prison industrial complex so it's 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 pretty fun any baby is made right up the street from where I am right now. No way. Yeah. The, I, I pass the factory on the way to work every day. Oh, my gosh. You yeah. should look into the history of them. They right. Is it crazy? I don't know. Any it of is nuts. <laughs> yeah. oh, wow. the, the hidden history of, uh, of Beanie Babies. I'm, yeah. This is a whole, whole other story. Give, wow. us, give us a little tidbit. Uh, well, the inventor of them, he is that shit crazy? Um, mm. well, you, you can cut all this stuff out. I, I, um, the big thing that is important about them is that people really did think they were going to be making their money in them. And that's sort of what the character in my book is about. Yeah. Uh, remember that famous picture of the couple dividing their yes. beanie babies? <laughs> that is basically, that is basically my novel. That is basically awesome. my <laughs> novel. So there's, there's a lot of that in there. It's fun. I will <laughs> say my stepdad um, had a collection of beanie babies that were for his 
supposedly for his daughters and my, and they were, his daughters were grown and out of the house. And my sister was over with her kids and they were, you know, wrapping up the evening and they were leaving. And one of the kids had like a beanie baby and was going to take it home with him. And my stepdad ran outside. You can't take that with you. That's my beanie baby. (laughs) 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 Because he thought it was going to be worth, and this was like, 10 years ago. So I feel like oh, he should have man. known Way better past. at that point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but was just like adamant that you could not take his collectible beanie baby. <laughs> oh my God. Well, and people forget that beanie babies came of age alongside eBay. And so oh. the whole beanie baby sale industry was really at the same time that eBay was really taking off. So people were starting to set up those mini stages in their homes and taking those very precious pictures of Beanie Babies and writing the original two descriptive descriptions of of what the internet was going to later become. Oh my God. So are we talking like 94, 95? So this is 98, right around Lewinsky. So summer of 98. Okay. I feel like there's going to be like a renaissance of 90s nostalgia I hope so. We have done, we have done the eighties to death Yes, and it's time for nineties. I'm ready. Absolutely. In some way, way I feel like we've skipped the nineties and have gone to the OOs, but maybe Rachel's book will usher in the nineties nostalgia in its rightful place. Oh, I sure hope so. Yeah. I hope so too. (laughs) I'm dying to read it. Did your research for this, this project that you recently finished did, was were you able to kind of go as deep with that as you were with the etymological research? Did you approach it the same way? So I had so many other threads to pull on that I didn't have just that single unifying insect stuff. I, I mean, I spent, I'm, I'm close to an academic library. So I would check out 30 books about entomology and just skim through them and pick what I thought was interesting for the last book. Right. Um, this one, I, I look into theater stuff. I look into um, prison industrial stuff. I look, you know, so it's a little bit more wide ranging. I drew from maybe two to three nonfiction books for each sort of thread, but I really enjoy going weird by drawing in the real life stuff. Cause that's mm-hmm. the thing that really makes somebody pause. Oh, totally. Can you talk about like your revision process? Cause you mentioned that it's very quick for you to get a draft. Um, and then how do you go back? How do you go back through and revise? So reading aloud really helps me Mm. um, even early in the process because my ears just so attuned to things that sound terrible. Um, (laughs) In in my day job, I teach public speaking and I I teach business writing and business speaking. And so I really sort of pay attention to when descriptions sound off or things don't flow. You know, for overall, (sighs) first draft is always a mess. Second draft, I usually go back and map major themes and sometimes I'll go scene by scene and say what happens because mm-hmm. I'll realize I duplicate a lot of things or maybe nothing's actually happening or maybe I have no description in that. I try to take it apart and bring it to sort of an Excel document. My, mm-hmm. my mom's an accountant, so I think that comes into play in my working there. Um, and I don't know. It, I think each project teaches me how to revise it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Totally. I was just thinking the same thing. I was talking to Alex a while ago about how I was going to go about revising this other project I was working on. And I did, I went to the Excel document. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just needed to see it in a list. It really helps my, my agent that I currently have insists on doing that. She does 
not exactly beat sheets, but she wants you to go through and map out scene for scene in the book, you know, what's happening at the beginning of this, what happens at the end, what do we find out? What is, you know, um, and it feels very rote, Mm -hmm. but it does help you pull on the emotional threads and find the themes a little bit more clearly. It works really well for me. And when you say you map themes, how do you go about doing that? Um, I might, that just feels more, more general, right? Throughout. So, you know, the book is, you think about what would be on the publisher jacket, right? Like, yeah. this is a book about family and loyalty. Like, uh, the but- <laughs> <laughs> like the butterfly effect, I, I wanted to pull in themes of like, what is fidelity, both mm. to family relationships, as well as in romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, so seeing how that's pulled in and out throughout. Um, I also wanted to think a lot about sibling relationships versus siblings having to act as parents Mm -hmm. um, and pull on those threads throughout. And so that showed me places where, oh, could I go back and find some sort of outside material to help explore? Um, One thing that I went and did, for instance, is I'm thinking about fatherhood, I'm thinking about parenthood, and I went and was able to start looking for, well, how do insects parent? Um, Are there actually parental father relationships in the insect world? And so starting to do research down that avenue and then finding places to weave that in throughout the American water bug, by the way, yes, is a great dad. Oh, so. <laughs> <laughs> it really feels like trying to create the simulation that we're all always joking about. Like, oh, there's a glitch in the simulation because we notice these connections yeah. that just naturally exist, but seem so strange. It seems like you're making, making, I guess writers are making, making the simulation or pointing out those connections in a way. Something that really stuck with me, and I can't remember which writer said this, is that writers love, or readers love to exist in a small world where you continue to bring in some of the same items, some of the same, you know, characters who could play the same role, you know, just use that same person again. Don't introduce a third side character. They like to see, um, the, the little pieces come up again in a strange way. It's I think not exactly. Adam, Adam yeah, Price was talking that's about That's what that. it was. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes, yes, yes. And that just feels so right to me. That mm-hmm. feels so right to me to have this small world that you build for people and you have to build it very intentionally so that we can all exist in it together. Uh, but if you're doing it right, then they don't notice the seams and they don't notice how much time you took to, to make the snicker salad. They just know it tastes good. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh, they put in mini Snickers and this one over here, cut it up. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I prefer. <laughs> Made from scratch uh, pudding. There you go. Uh, there you go. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh. I'm definitely going to have to make that. It seems like such a perfect thing to make for the 4th of July weekend. It's like an it American. Is. <laughs> it is. Somehow it's American. Yes. <laughs> Well, because it'll kill you when you eat it. The food, <laughs> there's the apples in it. Come on. Yeah. And there's nuts. Too. Oh, man. Oh, my God. Rachel, you just started a podcast. I did. Yeah, I, I, I forgot to mention that when I introduced you. Can you talk a little bit about it? Sure, sure. We're doing a book recommendation game show podcast. Oh, my gosh. Fun. It is maybe the most fun I've ever had. It's um called Blind Date with a Book. So we've been setting up people based on dating app questions and giving them book recommendations. Oh my God. <laughs> that is that, awesome. That's so what do you, so do you, you assign them book recommendations? Do they come back and talk about them? 
So what we do is we, uh, the, the, the other two panelists, Kristen Evans and Elena Nicolau, um, help, they each pick a recommendation each round and I pick a recommendation. And then the panelist listens to our pitches and they decide which one they'd actually go and buy. So it's like the dating game. It's like the dating game. But with exactly. Books. But with books. Um, and yeah, we've had really good feedback so far. And we get to sort of play in honor of our, our favorite indie bookstores every episode, which is really fun. So that fun. That is awesome. And now what it's, what's it called? Blind date with a book. Blind date with a book. Okay. You might've already said that. Uh, that's awesome. More times the better, right? Just keep on. Exactly. <laughs> Once again, that is blind date with a book. <laughs> Who edits it? Is it like a collaborative Elena. thing? Elena. Elena. Okay. Yep. 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 And so she works at Oprah daily. She's excellent. She, um, has so much book. I think all of us are just such ravenous readers that this is one of the best ways to get those recommendations out there. I don't have a social life. I pretty much just write and read and hang out with my kids and (laughs) (laughs) they don't want to hang out with me as much. But you have such a, like a wide network of writers and maybe that's just because we're all on social media, but it feels like, it feels like you are connected to a wide variety of writers. Am I wrong? Oh no, you're right. Well, and I also try to read in almost any genre you could imagine, because I think it makes you a stronger writer. Yeah. So I read a lot of literary fiction, but I also read um, horror. I read romance. I read sci-fi. I read, you know, whatever. I'll pick it up and read it if it looks interesting to me, mostly because there's always something you can take from it. And if not, well, it's fun. Who cares? You know, it's my time. (laughs) Yeah, I saw, I was looking at your website and I saw all the book reviews that you write and there is such a like varying, you know, different kinds of books that you, that you're taking your time with. Um, you're a critic, you're a writer, you're a humorist. Sheesh. Podcaster. And Snicker salad. Come on. And the Snicker salad. I can't compete. Somebody give me a television show next. There you go. There you go. She's ready. <laughs> you got bangs during the pandemic. I did. I that did. Is- only to be admired. I am powerful now, but I didn't cut them myself. Um, okay. Th- it was like a reverse Samson thing. Like I cut my <laughs> hair and I became extremely strong. <laughs> <laughs> I have this tweet that's been in my drafts forever. And all it is, is if I think if you want bangs, you should cut them. <laughs> or if you want bangs, you should get them. And it, and I, I, every once in a while, I'm like, I should tweet that. And then I'm like, you know what? I just don't, I can't with the replies. I know people have two just, strong just opinions. Make it, on just make it no replies. Yeah. Make it no replies. Be people that would powerful. hate you. Oh, that's right. Oh my gosh. I forgot you could do that. I'm, I'm you might've drafted it before that was a thing. There you you go. just, you held on to it till the right time. That's right. <laughs> oh my gosh. You guys are inspiring me. One day I'll drop it. Now the okay, tweet has bangs for all of us. <laughs> what What is your draft tweet policy? If If something were to happen and you weren't ever able to get on your Twitter again, but someone else was, what do you want to have happen to your draft? Whoa, tweets? never thought of that. Oh, I say publish them. <laughs> I think a lot of them are drafts because I'm like, ugh, I'm so lame. <laughs> like it's funny to me, you know, and I'm like, ah, ha, ha, or I'll show them to my husband and we laugh. And then I just save them as a draft because they're I know they're going to get like a dusty single like, you know? So I say do it, you know, that'd be like my nice send off into the, into the next world. Everyone can read my dusty, sad drafts. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my Lord. Oh, well, Rachel, this has been a pleasure. I am thrilled that you were able to have me on. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah, Thanks for coming, Rachel. You are fantastic. And everybody go find her on Twitter. 
and um, literally anywhere else because she's all over the place. Um, and we're so excited about your Beanie Baby novel. Thank yes. you. Yes. Yep, Butterfly yep, yep. effect. Everybody get it. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Bye, have a Rachel. Bye. Bye. What do you like to eat on the 4th of July? Oh my God. Okay. I have this like strong urge toward the, the traditional, even though I'm sure. a, ve- I'm a vegetarian. Sure. We don't own a grill. Um, oh, okay. All right. So like, I want, I want to make my family like hot dogs or, you know, veggie hot dogs. There's or... some good veggie dogs. Oh yeah. Yeah. And Trader Joe's just started selling impossible burger meat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I make, I make like, um, these impossible burger gruyere and egg burgers every week those are really good too the impossible oh burgers are like kind of surprisingly good they bleed they literally bleed in the pan like i'm not excited about that but meat eaters are they bleed virtue that's right that's exactly right um no so like all our neighbors are going out of town um so like i had this grand idea like that we would just be able to walk around and hang out with neighbors and let the kids run wild but they're all out of town so right. um I don't know. I want like, I want hot dogs. I want French fries. I want lemonade. Yes. I want ice cream. Mm-hmm. What um, kind of ice cream? That's a great question. You know what? The best ice cream I've ever had. It's actually a milkshake is a charred marshmallow milkshake. You've told me about this before. Oh I, where where do you get it? Or did, or did you find a recipe online? And you made it. Yeah. I saw a recipe in people magazine. I believe this was years yeah. ago. I can't remember who the chef is. He's, I think maybe J- Jamie Oliver is that a chef? Yeah. Um, he's a, cute as a button. Anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, I just do it myself. I um, roast the marshmallows over an open flame, and then you just throw them in to your blender with some ice cream, you know, and whatever. And then vanilla. What do you do? I don't even do vanilla because there's vanilla. Do do? Oh, vanilla ice cream. Yeah, vanilla. Yeah, ice yeah. Cream. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Um, and then, yeah. And then you top it with another charred marshmallow and it is so good. It is so good. So it's just the marshmallows and the ice cream. Oh, wait a second. I think there's actually graham crackers in it too. Oh my God. It's like a s'mores type deal. So it's more of a spoon situation than a straw situation. Yes. Okay. Oh my gosh. I might have I like to do that. that tomorrow. What about that you? Amazing. What are you guys going to eat? We're going to do, we'll do hamburgers, hot dogs, you know, we'll, yeah, we'll pretty much do the traditional stuff uh definitely yeah i mean but the thing is i like to cook like early lunch Mm -hmm. so that i can just kind of leave the food Mm -hmm. on the counter and then i can have like i'll i could probably comfortably eat like eight hot dogs tomorrow over the course of the day (laughs) and three (laughs) three hamburgers at least (laughs) i am those are real numbers. I'm not making that up. Like I love, I love 4th of July because you're just kind of like in and out of the house. Nobody's, nobody's like sitting at a table with you, like seeing what you're doing. So I'm just all over the place. There'll be, there'll be a lot of eating. Yeah. Just like everyone's in their wet swimsuit. Yeah. They're doing eating soggy potato chips. Yes. All that. And so, you know what? I do need some barbecue chips. I, I want like just, even just like Lay's barbecue, that's fine. I just, but I need some barbecue chips. Definitely. Mm-hmm. The um, beer. kettle chips, they make like a bourbon barbecue chip. Oh, I've never, I know what you're talking about, but I haven't had. Oh them. God, they're so good. They are so good. 
that's my recommendation for you. And for all of our I'm a writer, but listeners, even though this comes out after the fourth, it also feels to me like the fourth is kind of um, bittersweet for me because I feel like summer ends starts Mm. to end. It starts to end after the fourth. I don't know why, because it really has only just begun. (laughs) No, but I'm with you. I mean, it's the summeriest holiday. Yeah, for sure. And then it's over. Yeah. No, I'm excited though. Definitely going to be good. Lots of eating. Family time. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to go to, there's like a little parade at a park close to our house where the kids get to like march around the park and then do sack races and throw water balloons at each other. So perfect. Yeah. That's, that's going to be our main thing. We're going to the pool later today. Awesome. Um, and I have a swimsuit, but I refuse to put it on. Sure. You know, it's like, I, I need like clothes I can like bend over in. Yeah. Be comfortable. (laughs) Do your thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I love these like lazy, long, limitless days. Oh my God. Definitely. Um, And we're both reading night bitch right now. I fucking love night bitch. We didn't get to talk to Rachel McKenney about it because we were going to though. She also loves night bitch and Rachel Yoder blurbed the butterfly effect. So if you're a Yoder fan, get the McKenney book. And if you're a McKenney fan, get the Yoder book. Yes. Um, yeah. And we're talking to her this week. So uh, what a treat to talk to great. both Rachel's in such close proximity. There's only there two Rachel's go. in the world and we talked to both of them. Right. We hit them both. Yeah. And we're going to watch, um, <laughs> we're going to watch the new Bill and Ted's tonight. <laughs> oh, cool. I'm excited. Nice. Nostalgia all around. You do like John Wick three or something afterwards. Just keep. Oh, I've going. already seen it. <laughs> Please. Okay. I'm what's up on fa- my key. What's, what's your favorite John Wick? I honestly love the first one the best, but he, great. I mean, I love them all and I love Keanu Reeves and you know, Oh like, God. Yeah. He's like simultaneously so dead in the face, but you can also see his humanity in his eyes. I don't know. I, yeah, I just, yeah, he's great. I fucking love him. I, yeah. I watched, uh, I watched John Wick three a couple nights ago. Cause I was like, I need to just watch something. And I just That's I love Skyfall. to watch him. No, right. I love to watch him uh, just athletically lumber around. Yes. <laughs> he does. He just kind of lumbers. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. I bet he eats eight hot dogs and three hamburgers. Oh, my God. Have you seen the videos on YouTube of him training for those movies? No. I mean, they're very disturbing because it's like it's like military training, but it's also... Uh, you know, maybe give up two minutes of your life and watch them because okay. they're insane. Don't threaten me with a good time. I won't. I watched a video of him playing with puppies. Really? And it was like five whole minutes long and I watched the entire thing. Yeah. You're the audience you then to. for this. <laughs> I am. Oh, God. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, uh, you know, have a great weekend. Yeah, you too. It's Independence <laughs> Day. Bye. <laughs> Bye. I'm a Writer Butt is recorded by Alex Hickley and me, Lindsay Hunter, in our respective basements. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, it's like people who sell ad space on their, like, torso, you know? <laughs> Anything, any, you don't know, you're not from Florida, Alex. Oh, that's right.